Welcome to Perspectives YYC. In today's episode, I actually got to randomly sit down with my producer, Kyle Marshall. Uh, it was unplanned. I came in for God knows what reason. Um, and I got to chat with the man that's been making all of this happen for me. He's sitting right beside me, so I'll try to keep this positive. Kyle, you... You're awesome. And I hope that our uh, interview expresses why we get along so well. Uh, and I hope that we are able to uh, continue this moving forward. Please let us know if you agree, whether you uh, like this episode or any of the others. Press pause, uh, give us a rating, give us a review, perhaps subscribe to us. And just let us know how we're doing in general uh, with this Perspectives Why We See Movement. Thanks and uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. A quick thank you to Handmade, a local band here who's just released their debut EP called For You. It's on, I believe, all streaming uh, services. They allowed us initial access pre-release for their amazing song On and On, which you hear before and through uh, the podcast. If you do get a chance to check them out, uh, Handmade, not the Thai boy band, just check them out. Give them a follow on Instagram, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you might be able to search and find them. Thanks again to Handmade for an awesome track for us. whenever you are okay hi Kyle hi <laughs> I'm actually on the microphone yeah it's, this is exciting we're going to interview my producer because uh, I was supposed to do something else and as usual uh let's do something else to something else that I was going to do we're also going to do something weird let's date it because I think I have a feeling we won't play this for a while and it's like Halloween which is yeah cool Saturday, we're about I'm dressed as a sexy vampire. You can't see it. But. Oh, I can see it. I can see it. Uh, no, um, Saturday, we're launching issue two. And the only reason to date that is because that presumably will be our first attempt at some form of live broadcasting. Uh, how excited are you about that? I'm excited. I don't know necessarily what to expect at this point. I know it's going to work, but in what way, I don't know yet. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like, just to see how, is it the crowd? Is it handmade? Do we bring mics and talk? Well, I'm definitely going to bring some mics and a mixer of some kind. Okay. Past that, we'll just kind of wing it as we go along. All right. I'm getting more excited. This has nothing to do with anything, but I happen to be at the handmade launch party when they launched their new EP when they were doing it over at the Palomino. Palomino, yep. And, man, I know that we... Well, not we. You talk to them about the the music scene that's here in Calgary, and I don't think I really locked into it until I went and saw those bands. Like, wow! Like, there is some phenomenal talent here in the city, and I don't think we get recognized for it as like a Montreal or a Vancouver, or even a Toronto would. Because I think once again, it's like this eternal Calgary problem is that no one talks about it or doesn't go out to the shows or. I guess we have this internalized pessimism <laughs> yeah. where it's like, Ugh, nothing good happens here. So yeah, I wonder, don't think about it. Like, is that an, uh, a weird psychosis where we extend that Canadian humility of like, we have to just say that we're bad at everything and apologize for everything to the point where we're like, well, then, you know, everybody can do everything better than we can. It's, it's a weird thing because Calgary also has its own... Uh, self-confidence yeah. and uh, bravado about certain things. But uh, to the early point, Kyle, uh, no, it's a we. I mean, you're my producer. And I think, too, um, 
our intended ventures, uh, be it the live uh, venue stuff, I did get co- uh, confirmation that Austin's show that's launching at Vintage, uh, whether you can be there or not on the whatever 18th or 19th of Sunday afternoon, uh, his younger brother is going to bring the jazz quartet. Oh, nice. And we're going to shove that into a tiny corner in that small, <laughs> beautiful cafe that I um, just through some yeah miracle blessing am also allowed to work there. Uh, so if we can work that i mean we got that jazz thing that fell through at the other venue and then on a move forward as we try to do i have this new project in mind that i'm meeting a a videographer on tuesday so if that opens up then you and i are going to talk about that as well um but yeah i don't know uh there's talent here man you're talented um I, i guess you know all the people that we're meeting are showing that there's lots of uh, creative energy and impetus. You know, re-listening to Alex's podcast, will, which presumably will have been released before this is aired, uh, but that we are reviewing now in production, the conceptual and philosophical uh, direction of culture and creativity coming from the end of the line or the suffering or this like, uh, yeah, tiring of our personal experience, whatever that may be. It's a fascinating thing to look at in Calgary right now, too, with all the talk of on the surface of this economic downturn and people losing their jobs and having to challenge whatever um, they had accepted. And now over the last five years, I'm meeting from all range groups and demographics, people that just want to push something out. Uh, it's not just kids that are singing. It's like old people like me fucking painting and taking pictures. And stuff. Well, it's the entire concept of the legend of the Phoenix, right? Where... Something has to burn up or crash before something new and great can prosper from it. And I think that Calgary was getting into a bit of a rut. And I can get onto my eternal soapbox about how I think that Alberta and Calgary in particular could be looked at as energy leaders instead of just oil leaders. I think there's a specific difference amongst that. We don't have to go into that conversation. Uh, but you're right. I think that there's this huge like swelling and like explosion of artistic output just because people said, well... I'm not getting paid anyway, so I might as well go and do something that I really like to do instead of laying on the couch being sorry for myself, which is exciting to see. And we can start to see the economy start to ramp up here. And now everyone can get uh, mad about the Olympics. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. No. Again, that'll have been presumably resolved by the time this gets Mm -hmm. aired. But um, I don't know. Politics, man. Beyond that, and uh, you've teased me about this before, it's this culture of money, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that uh, whatever its intended function, useful function and proper function, um, it doesn't matter because right now how we live, uh, whether there's a better or worse way, I don't know, um, it values it entirely too much. I just left a, a meeting with an artist. I'll, I won't name her because I don't, you know, we just met, but conceptually we had uh, discussions where she was discovering this creative part of her, um, but she has also this uh, nagging voice that everything has to be about it being a commodity, that as much as I love making this art, the only reason to make it is if I can sell it. And I think that's, there's some poisonous about that there. Yeah, I mean, I always find myself in the middle of these philosophical, like, pulling parts where even when it gets gets even when it gets to politics i can never go like full like left side right side i sometimes fall right in the middle of people who are warring back and forth it's because i know that there's going to be some people out there that would be like well if you can't sell your art for money or for a profit or you aren't profitable as an artist then you shouldn't be an artist like that is an argument you could make at the same time I do believe that people should be compensated properly. I think that you should pursue what you want, but also understanding the fact that sometimes that is going to just be a part-time gig for some people where you do have to get an extra job because it's either something you just do for fun or you're you're the 19th best artist out there and there's just not a lot of scraps for those people at that point. There's something about this bipolar approach we have, I think... Um particularly in the last 20 some odd years uh, where everything has to be an all or nothing thing. It's like you're either left, you're the right, blue, red, whatever the, the yeah, matrix whatever. is. I'm it, sure truce. Yeah. Like, <laughs> especially moving from Toronto to Calgary, I think the political change just in the East West vibe, you know, typically anyways, uh, Toronto 
has been a very left-leaning urban um, political climate, at least as far as federal and, um, I mean, provincial is mm-hmm. up and down. But but Calgary, by reputation, has been a presumably right-wing, right, well, that's a, that's a weird phrase now, but right-leaning um, environment. And now it's kind of flipped. You know, we've got this Trump-esque buffoon uh, who is elected in the East, that shows my political leaning. And it's not because he's conservative. He's, he just seems like a dick. So, right, right. Um, you know, like doing Trump-esque things like uh, you're going to lose ridings in your city just because I said so. Like, this, that stuff's just petulant. But, and then we have an NDP party that got elected in Alberta, which right, apparently right. Is, used to not make sense. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then once they get in, they go middle because you yeah, still have to, you have, to. You have <laughs> to make money. You can't just say it's all for hospitals and children and, and causes um, where the reality is. I don't know. I, I was thinking, bringing it back to the art realm. When I first started the magazine and started curating, it's like everybody who calls himself a painter should be able to get out and be recognized. And I think that's actually kind of bullshit. It's like, um, I think that in a lowercase p painter sending, of course, if you buy some watercolors at, at a Walmart and you paint on a white piece of you know printer paper, when you paint, you're a painter. And I think there's a spiritual aspect there where as it expresses some part of you, there's value in that. But that next level, yeah, the commercial talk about who deserves recognition, is there a rating system who should be hung up on a wall? I don't know. That stuff's well, become very well, the money, whole money thing is it, it's two pronged, which is I think people should be compensated fairly for what they produce. Fairly might be a word that we'd have to debate about. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, I think that it is a little bit misguided to look at what gets the most money as having the most value. Mm. I think we can see that again and again, whether it's, the 19th sequel to a blockbuster franchise that you just don't understand, like you don't get why it's so popular or yes, you can go into the art realm. It's like, I don't know why they bought this white canvas for $2 million. I don't, I don't get it. I just think art means what it means to you, which I know is a little bit of a pad answer for most people. But I think a, a finger painting that my niece or nephew gives to me. Yeah. I have a lot of value in that. I, I love it. Is it, the same as if Picasso signed me a painting, probably not, but uh, I'm still going to value their paintings that they're, they're giving to me because they gave them of themselves. They, they created something new and then put it out into the world. I think it's important to continue to create and, and give it out and not just hold it to yourself because, I don't know, There's I think that's the true mark of an artist is that at a certain point you have to give it off and cut that, that tether to be like, this is not of me anymore. It's now into the world. And then those people are going to give it value based on that. Mm. Yeah. I'm uh, sorry. Let me try to digest. I mean, uh, number one, money, value, popularity. Yeah. I think you're right. There's a, there's more focus and attention that needs to be placed there so that we can change the language in which we evaluate these things. I also like the theme of Art being, uh, the value of art being in the eye of the beholder. So if I can be a painter and I have an audience of one, but that person I respect or want, you know, or we connect some some reason, I mean, there's an inherent value on it, again, on a spiritual level for sure. And then the two-pronged problem, I suppose, is uh, you still have to eat. Yeah. You have to right. pay a mortgage. I mean, wrapping this up, and then I don't know if you want to ask questions about me, but <laughs> but it's uh, no, I'm okay. I that's don't all right. know. It's fine. <laughs> but what I what I think about a lot is fame is kind of wrapped up into this. But becoming an artist or or sustaining yourself on whatever you're producing, you don't actually need as many people as what a lot of people think. There mm-hmm. is a book out there, to, I'm forgetting who the author is, but it's called A Thousand True Fans. And technically, if you are creating something that a thousand people really, really love, that can sustain you for, for quite a long time. You do not need to have millions of people following you. Mm-hmm. And the quote that I always go back to is by Joss Whedon, who I always I butchered this quote a little bit, but... Uh, he's the showrunner for like shows like Buffy and Angel and Firefly. Uh, I just happen to be a big fan of most of his TV work. And he said once in an interview that he would rather have 
a hundred people that have to see his show than a thousand people that would watch his show. So he just knew the power of like those niche markets that, yeah, are like kind of that ride and die with you. It's, it's easy to be wise when uh, you have millions you, of dollars, but yeah, you direct yeah. Avengers. Sure. Um, the Firefly and Serenity are, well, yeah, mm-hmm. we can do nerd talk if you want, but those, those are f- fucking fantastic. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Joss. Is he not wrapped up in some controversy? No, I think he was a little bit. Yeah. He, his, uh, uh, his ex-wife. Yeah. yeah. There was some stuff. Okay. Yeah. We won't get into that. Uh, so, shitty segue, but uh, Kyle. Hey. How are you? I'm doing good. So let's do... All I, of that's going to get cut out. So. We'll see. <laughs> well, I, I know you. it's in your power, but I'm going to presume that you won't. Uh, what, what should we start? So... We met uh, mm-hmm. this year. Maybe you could tell me uh, why you reached out to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then we can use that to kind of open the door of uh, what you were doing at the time, yeah. um, not just with Media Lab, but uh, I've learned a few things about you, that these new ventures for creativity, et cetera, that you know some people that uh, inadvertently through the video audio world mm-hmm. and um, and that you're a 10-year Apple uh, vet. Yes. Uh, so you're a nerd with some of the uh, yeah, computer stuff. But yeah, talk to me. Let's start. You know, in, what was it, July? and uh, Ish, yeah. Yeah. I was going to make a joke. It was because of your pretty face. But the fact is, I didn't even know what you looked like before we went to the meeting for the first time. I don't remember. I know that it showed up on my Facebook feed somehow. Mm. That perspective showed up. I have a feeling that somebody, like one of my Con- friends. Interconnected. Like shared it or something. So there's somehow we're connected with a a friend that we both know somehow. Maybe Vlad or something. It could have been, actually, now that I think of it, either Vlad or one of those guys. Or something, yeah, yeah. They were over there, and they shared this Perspectives magazine coming out. I was like, oh, what's this? So I clicked it, read it up, and I don't even know if it was written on there somewhere. Regardless, I was like, oh, I want to connect with this person. Maybe there's some way we can collaborate. I'm always looking for different avenues of and ways to collaborate with people here in the city. And I sent you, uh, I slid into your DMs and I sent you a message saying, hey, do you want to meet? And uh, you said, sure. And went to your uh, your office, <laughs> basically. Phil and Sebby's. Yeah, the what, Phil and Sebastian's. And met up there, which was, I thought, great. I wonder if Jacko was actually working that day. I don't know. Plausible. I d- I, it depends on what time we met, because he typically opens and, and leaves that too. Although today's his last day, but. Yeah, uh, yeah. Regardless. Uh, I got my little coffee. Well, it wouldn't have been coffee. It would have been a tea. Had my tea. And you walked in. I saw you come in. I didn't know it was you yet. And you stood and talked at the counter for a while. I'm like, oh, that must not be him. And then you ordered a meal. And then you said, are you Kyle? I'm like, oh, that was a way, that was a long time before you actually came over and, and sat down. Um, but basically, yeah, we just, I thought we kind of hit it off. We yes. had like this broad ranging conversation about art in Calgary and the magazine specifically. And then I bought a copy from you and went back to my place in the, in the rain because it was raining that day. Ever since then, we've kind of kept coming back into each other's orbits and you decided to make the plunge and like, I want to make a podcast. So let's make it happen. And so I said, yes. Uh, yeah. And I'm a thankful uh, for all that because mm-hmm. you're awesome. And B, I agree with you. I think we did hit it off. I don't know why yet. Uh, and we'll talk about, I mean, the one thing that came up uh, when you brought up is this idea that seeing something on your feet and wanting to collaborate, I think um, that's been the base spiritual, again, uh, premise of everything that I've been doing, which is uh, put some energy out there and then try to feed into other people that are responding in, in like, uh, um, mostly through action. I mean, there's a lot of people that talk a lot of shit and, um, you know say things or dm me or or i mean this has come up in the past uh, i can't remember if it's on a recording but in our conversation anyways where i need people that are going to come to me and, and give me an idea of what they're doing mm-hmm. so you know from the collaborative standpoint maybe we'll use this to go into media lab i mean why does media lab exist <laughs> here's here's the myth of media lab as i see it the the story that i like to tell not that it's wrong it's but this is the compressed version of it. I was down in LA attending something called VidCon, which is a convention I go to every year that celebrates online video. And one year I was down there and I really wanted to go and visit the YouTube space. 
that's down there. And the YouTube spaces are for video creators. They have green screens and editing stations and these different sets that they have down there. And I just thought it would be cool to go and just take a look. Not really wanting to go and use the facilities. I just wanted to go and take a look. So I did a bit of quick research while I was there and realized that I couldn't actually go because you're not actually able to get into the building. You actually have to be kind of invited <laughs> to come into the building. They have occasionally like... I don't know, like a class or something that you can come and attend at certain times, but you cannot just go into the building unless you have a certain number of subscribers and then you can come in and, and create in there. So this actually bugged me quite a bit. <laughs> it yeah. really, really bugged me. And so by the time that I touched down back in Calgary, I had made this decision. I think that Calgary should have this place for video creators and for podcasters to come and create stuff inside of. And so that was kind of my... <laughs> first foray down into becoming an entrepreneur. So, and, and that's kind of the, the thing that I've kind of learned a lot here in the first year, which is there's this altruistic vision of what Media Lab is in my mind. And the hardest part is really trying to communicate that, I think, effectively with other people. Because at the same time, yes, because <laughs> I'm a business, I need to make a profit. And at the same time, I was like, well, I also want to invite people to come in here and just create things whether it's during one of our get-togethers or feedback sessions that we have here. So there's kind of that kind of dually natures that happen here. But that was the impetus. That's why I decided to create Media Lab in the first place. Hmm. How long ago was that? Well, I came up with the idea uh, like four years ago, three and a half, four years ago. Media Lab opened last October. Right. So we've been open for just over a year. But it's interesting. Like I... I think it's fascinating meeting any entrepreneur and this idea of having an idea and then pushing for three years in some form or fashion mm -hmm. in different uh, pieces, especially in a creating a physical space thing is a pretty big gamble. I right. think, uh, you know, well, my wife and I have, I don't know, prodded each other to be entrepreneurs almost the entire time we've been together, you know, you know, maybe 15 of the 18 years. So mm -hmm. I'm always teasing her to be a chef or to be this or to be that. And she always had some other subsequent thing for me, uh, usually used to involve uh, drinking, but, um, <laughs> but we never acted on it, you know, and it was only until, uh, for us, everything kind of blew up in our face that, um, that we had the desperation to do anything. Um, do you think that in your experience, that's something that echoes in your, I don't know, like what, what gets you to the point where you're like, you know what, I'm just going to do that. I mean, what were you doing before? Well, all, all the way through this, I was still working at Apple, it, uh, which I started working at in 2008, thinking day one that I was only going to be there for maybe a few months to a year <laughs> and then ended up being there for a decade which is sometimes what happens. And I can't say, I mean, there was a short period of time where I was very unhappy and I wanted to move on. I can't really say that that's the case anymore. I think I've been supported really well by that company. So yeah, I, it wasn't really like my back was up against the wall, really. Uh, it, I don't think there's a much similarities between that scenario specifically. All I knew is that as passive of a person as I really am, I really try to avoid conflict. I don't like arguments. I try to be a people pleaser to my detriment in many ways. But when I get an idea, I get really, really stubborn about those ideas. And I'll continue doing it even if every person or everything around me is telling me, maybe you should stop doing that. That was my year of heroin. Uh, no. So that was like, I mean, starting YouTube, for instance, in twenty. 10 when i when i started posting regularly on youtube i just said i'm going to post a video every week for a year and so i just did that <laughs> and it it was the whole saturday night live mantra which is we don't put a show up on saturday because we're ready it's because it's saturday and that was with my youtube videos like i'm not putting up a youtube video this week because i think it's great it's because it's thursday and it's time to upload my video <laughs> so it's whatever i have on hand is what's going to it's what's going to happen and I think part of the reason why that is, to get real for a moment, is that uh, my 20s were pretty awful, is what I would kind of term them. And as anxious and anxiety-ridden as I am now, my 20s, really when I look back at them, all I can really see is like wasted potential and opportunities that I didn't take when I should have. And so I think a lot of my 30s have been playing catch-up, which is I don't 
A, want to be 70 years old and look back and be like, all I have is regrets. Also, I want to pursue these things I've always wanted to do, but continually told myself that either A, I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't talented enough, or that I didn't deserve it. And and so I just started to do them. <laughs> Thanks for listening so far. We just wanted to say that this podcast has been brought to you by Media Lab YYC. Kyle Marshall runs this amazing little outfit here in downtown Calgary. Um, and we wanted to say this. Here at Media Lab YYC, we help you share your stories with the public. Video, audio, business, personal. Let us help you take your idea to the finish line. Um, well, yeah. I mean... To poke the bear, mm-hmm. like what? What were your twenties like? Were you here? Were you somewhere? Yeah. Else? So what were you doing? Went to university down in Lethbridge. Was originally going there to become a teacher. You need to have very, very high marks when you go to Lethbridge because it's like the place people go to get their education degrees. So, because I was doing my English degree, that's a very hot one that people go into. So you have to be kind of in your top, whatever it is, five percentile or whatever. The uh, it is down there. Uh, anyway, I didn't get in to the educational faculty, so I just finished off my English degree, moved here to Calgary right after, and didn't really know what to do. Uh, I had the choice of between moving back home to this little tiny town called Rocky Mountain House, which is a couple hours north of us I've here. Been there. Uh, that's where I grew up, born and raised on a farm just outside of Rocky Mountain House, Alberta. And my friend said, "I don't think you should move back home. I think you should move to Calgary." Partly because he was here and he wanted some friends, for sure. But I think also, he's never said this, but I have a suspicion, and he's probably right, that if had I moved back to Rocky, I don't know if I'd ever moved out. Mm. Like, I would have gotten stuck in that rut, being there, at least being in Calgary, and only knowing one or two people. It forced me to figure things out and become self-sufficient as best as I could. So I moved to Calgary right after. I just put my resumes out to anywhere I could possibly think of some of them to like bookstores and really any place that had like a hiring sign in their window. Cause I like, I moved here and didn't have a job. So I was like, well, I have a place right now and I want to be able to pay them rent. So I have to figure something out. So the first job I had was working at seven 11, the night shift. So I worked from 10 PM to 6 AM. Amazing. And it was awful. <laughs> I hated it. Which seven 11? Uh, it was the 7-Eleven that is on the Trans-Canada Highway as you're leaving out west. Uh, so it's like just down from COP, basically. Like, yeah, yeah, near yeah. the... Uh, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, so you get some I would love pretty, like, an employee photo of you oh, from there. Oh, man, yeah. It's some crazy <laughs> times that were happening at, at that time. Uh, I really disliked it, A, because my sleep schedule was just all bonkers. And so I couldn't... Like, I was just in a weird headspace at that time because I was just not sleeping a normal rhythm. And... Yeah, I just, I, I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. The worst thing that happened, actually, so this would have been like, obviously, four years after high school had ended, but there was one night where these, quote unquote, like the popular kids from high school, from Rocky, but they were in Calgary for some reason, came into the 7-Eleven oh, while shit. I was working, and I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? <laughs> and they're like, oh, Kyle, I thought you were going to be something. Oh, That's what they said off. to me. I'm like, oh, man, like cut me like a knife. That was like my depression for like the next three weeks uh, after they after they told me that. So I did that for six months until Chapters, which is a bookstore here in Canada, called me up and says, do you want to be one of the managers of a Crowfoot? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. And so that's what I did that's for like the next three years. From yeah, 7-Eleven. Yeah. Wow. It's just because of that thing. It was the English degree, honestly. It was just because I went to university. It probably wouldn't have mattered what degree I had actually taken. It was the fact that I had a degree and that after the interview, they could tell I didn't want to eat people. So they decided, you'll, your management potential. Hmm. <laughs> but then you have to realize, too, that I'm like, what, 23 22 turning yeah. 23 as a manager no, no real job experience that are like yeah like really no like managing people that are sometimes three times older than i am yes. i'm like this is weird me telling you to do something at <laughs> least in your mind yeah yeah but i i learned i learned a lot from there this is a really long way to say that my 20s i got sidelined into like kind of these retail jobs this kind of segued into apple when i eventually got to there but I wasn't creating anything. And I kind of figured it out eventually that this weird anxiety pit in my stomach, sadness that was overtaking me every waking moment was because I was not expressing myself in any meaningful mm-hmm. way. 
And so the the first vestiges of that was me like starting to write things down. And because YouTube was such a big part of my life, it's been something I've been fascinated by since it debuted in 2005. It was that me decided I'm going to, that's how I'm going to like have my outlet <laughs> of, of, uh, of art for, for lack of a better word. I fashioned myself. I really wanted to become a writer, still do want to become a writer sometime <laughs> in the future, but trying to self-publish or do all that kind of stuff was just so daunting to me that I didn't even know where to begin. So if you know any children's book authors, I have a children's book already written from like five years ago. Well, you <laughs> know, just waiting for illustrators. I don't know about children's book, but yeah. s- speaking of self-published authors, um, I met one at a chapters at mm-hmm. Chinook at one of the pop-up tables. We had a coffee last week. Um, I've invited him to the podcast. Uh, oh, cool. I told him we'd wait until, because he's got a lot of projects coming up. So unlike you and I, where we just impulsively went for it anyways, even though I'm, uh, you know, probably two months behind in a release schedule, I'll bring him in and then we can talk. He's self-published. It's a science fiction book. I think it's Mike Leesk. Okay. Uh, and his pub- his self-publishing company is called Psychra. Um, apparently him and his wife are building a book too, but I can't remember if they said it was a children's book or just another thing. Anyways. Um, but now that you brought that up, yeah. you know, I'm, I might be able to, yeah, never mind. Like, when we <laughs> pull met, some strings, pull yeah, some yeah, strings. Yeah. We, we met and you're talking about how, because uh, I, I obviously I can't afford to pay you yet, um, but, you know, live shows. So we're going to do live shows yeah. and now yeah. um, I'll find, I'll bring a guy in that can talk to you about self-publishing. That'd be great. <laughs> um, I mean, that, that's the thing. Like when I was growing up, like my big dream was either to be like a playwright or a novelist or a screenwriter, like just some sort of thing where I'm producing it. I, I've never thought that my greatest talent was being in front of the mic or in front of the camera. I like coming up with ideas and working with a team to actually execute it in the best possible way. That's what I like the most. Uh, so when you find yourself being like 28 years old, and you're like, oh, I didn't do anything for like the last decade because I was in school and then went into a job and then just didn't make anything. It eats at you a little bit. At least it did for me. And so that had some negative effects. Uh, weight gain being one of them. Uh, drinking was another one. There, I, I noticed there was a problem when <laughs> I was, a, I, I was a, a fancy drunk. I would go and get wine coolers. That's what I got. And so it would be, it started as being like, oh, I'm just going to stop at the little uh, liquor store beside my my house at the time which was like it was three blocks away maybe dangerous and it was like one of those little wine coolers every night which then turned into two which turned then eventually into like all six of them is what i would be doing <laughs> like most nights i'm like mm, this probably isn't normal and so i had to kind of pull that myself out of that i think the biggest thing was i eventually i finally pushed myself knowing that i probably should have done this years and years earlier was a therapy was talking to somebody about it and when there's this outside force that sometimes like takes it in and doesn't chastise you for it, it's like, hey, like there's we cope in different ways and this is how you've decided to cope. But I what she did so well for me was she would just ask like simple questions because I would get into these w- weird thought spirals where it's like, well, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this. And she just simply says like so what sorry, why can't you do this? And then I would be like, Well, I, I I don't know. <laughs> and I really had to confront that. I think that the only thing that was holding me back was, well, partly was myself. So I decided to tear down those walls, which is why I did two one-man shows in, in, in a couple summers ago. I started writing a bunch of stuff. Uh, I did the NaNoWriMo challenge. So I have written an entire novel in a month, uh, written my children's book, done almost nine years of YouTube videos. I run three podcasts currently, so I mean, <laughs> and, and I have an and I have a company that produces content. So I, I don't have I'm not want for things to do. I came across that acronym: uh, fear, false ev- evidence of anything real. Mm-hmm. Um, and then today, meeting that artist, I was telling her that this adult psyche, at least by stereotype, the negative one, anyways, is uh, is all about fear. That that voice that you were talking about that. You know, I want to go here. Well, here's the 75 fucking reasons you can't do it. And uh, oh, I want to, yeah, I want to go skydiving. Well, this is why you're going to die. And this is why it's not going to work. And look right, at these right, stats. Right. And, and all this, Which is not to say that everybody should go jump off of a plane. Um, I would highly recommend uh, going in a doorless helicopter. Although, I was say. Um, 
I have skydove before, though. Oh, I, I'm too chicken shit for skydiving. But, you know, after I've been telling everybody to go into helicopter stuff, and then um, you know, I, I played soccer for a long time in my life, so I do loosely follow um, Premier League, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And the owner of Leicester just died in a helicopter crash. Uh, so, you know, it's not that all fear is bad. I mean, there's uh, an element in which we have to have rational discourse that we're not playing with firearms in our face, et cetera. But this other one where it's, yeah, like this implied rhetoric where it's actually not based on fact at all. That's a fascinating thing. And I think I was just thinking too, when you were talking about ruts, you know, that is there a phonetic thing about rote Mm. uh, creating ruts? You know, I I don't know. Uh, We seem to be raised at least me and my current state of, uh, knowing why everything is going wrong. I, uh, I wonder this, yeah, post-industrial idea that we have to be tagged, shaped, created, told exactly, you know, this is, this is the actions of a successful male, for example. So uh, whatever that is coded in, in Rocky Mountain House, whether that's a certain type of physicality, certain type of academic thing, certain type of sports, whatever, there's going to be every, every little spot's going to have some type of structure. All this thing is so fucking poisonous, man. Like I'm looking at my son growing up right now and, uh, you know, from birth, his favorite color has been pink. His first favorite pop artist was Katy Perry. His, you know, and I have two voices. One, which is luckily the stronger one, like, who gives a shit? Let him do whatever he wants. But I do have that voice which is like, oh, man, like, Katy Perry, you know, come on, man. Like, y- you can be better than that. But that doesn't make sense, <laughs> right. right? Like, so. Well, there's there's a, there's an argument there, too, that the more you try and prevent him from getting that, like, that's just what he's going to exactly. do anyway. So it's like, get out of your system now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let it free. And then, you know, the other thing that happened is me watching it. I'm like, you know what? I kind of appreciate that one album anyway. It's pretty good. She's got some good music. Um, Again, yeah, I think in the previous podcast, talk about how my sister disowned me for saying that. You know, I don't know. Yeah, like going through, like listening to what you've gone through, uh, through the mental health issues, the self-identification problem. It's a well, fascinating it, thing. Yeah. I, the, my favorite exercise, actually, that my therapist ever made me do because I had and continue to fight with, in many respects, uh, this issue of like self-loathing. Talking about the 20s again, honestly, and I'm not even joking, it probably even started in my being a teenager, where getting up, like the first thing that came into my head was I hate myself. That was like the first phrase that came into my brain. And that was basically this recurring in my head for the entire day, went to sleep, got up, same thing. To the point where I actually couldn't look at myself in the mirror anymore. And I had coping mechanisms and I didn't think it was weird because I had just coped with it. But she, A, the, the first part was basically looking at yourself in the mirror. <laughs> she says, just look at yourself in the mirror for like a minute and don't look away. And it was the hardest thing for me to do. Like it was the hardest thing for me to do, which I thought was going to be ridiculous. I'm like, fine, I'll look at myself in the mirror. But she also did this exercise about going just regressing, I guess, for lack of a better word. This is going to sound really floofy, but but basically it's like, think of yourself as like a four-year-old. Okay, picture yourself as a four-year-old. You are you as you are right now, and you've met yourself as a four-year-old. Do you want to tell that four-year-old that you hate them? Right? And it's like, well, no, I don't. It's like, well, then stop doing this to yourself. <laughs> you're, you're still that four-year-old. And I think about that for like my nieces and nephews, and I'm, I don't know, you may, maybe you think about that for your for your own kid, which is like, You've, you've, you've lived in and you have a pessimism about certain things. It's like, uh, like the realities of the world. You want to keep a hold of that innocence for as long as you possibly can. Uh, you don't want to see them lose it. And you don't, you try and guide them past the, your falls and stuff like that. And you just hope that they don't succumb to these weird mental blocks that you did and try and, and try find a, find a way around it. Anyways, that was my 20s. It's <laughs> not a very great time in my life. Uh, this is why we get along, Kyle. I think, yeah, uh, yeah well, uh, similar, different, but similar uh, experiences. I, I found this meme on Reddit. I love Reddit. It was, <laughs> I like uh, how we've segued into memes. But yes. Well, no, you know, I have a, I get my, most of my memes from the subreddit of Get Motivated. Um, mm-hmm. And some of them are shit, but, you know, some of them are designed either through recovery, through psychological uh, trauma, through whatever. But the one that feeds, I'm suddenly reminded of is, uh, um, to describe it, it's a 
picture uh, drawn of a four-year-old and a 75-year-old. And it said, the only two people you have to impress in your life are your four-year-old self and your 75-year-old self. And I think it kind of speaks to what you're talking about, whether we attain that awareness through therapy and through trauma um, or just on a flippant meme scale, that when you look at how presumably a innocent four-year-old approaches life, uh, and then you look at people post-retirement age and how they just don't give a shit about a lot of stuff anyways, because they've lived through it already. And you look at those two windows, how they're very similar in many aspects. And also they don't buy into all the things that we weigh into, social dynamics, judgment from other people, all this other kind of stuff. I think there's something really important there. You know, uh, you go to um, San Fran or wherever you went to the to the convention, you see this video thing, you're, uh, you're excluded by YouTube. Fuck mm-hmm. them. Huh? Yeah. Fuck Facebook. Um, <laughs> But you're excluded uh, on YouTube because you don't have enough followers, likes, who cares? Whatever the social dynamic is, you come back and you decide to uh, make something. There's going to be a lot of voices who are like, oh, you're going to do compete with YouTube or like, oh, you can't do this. And like, there's going to be a lot of reasons why you shouldn't do this. Um, But then as soon as you take action and do the first step, it just becomes its own thing. And there's so much value and power in that. Whether it lasts, and I keep telling people too, like, for myself, that's the magazine for yourself. It's Media Left, presumably. There's mm-hmm. there's other stuff we're working on. But am I going to gamble that Perspectives becomes the next Vice magazine? No. Like, I, it's a local magazine for artists. If it lasts a third issue, I'm going to call that a miracle. What's more important for me is to stay with the reflection and perspective that even in making it, having conversations with artists who want to give me their energy so that I can project it somewhere, um, trying to give voice to people that um, would otherwise find a way to stifle themselves. There's, there's yeah. great power. I mean, you know, like way back, I'm, I'm so curious, you know, those like the cave paintings in France that everyone has probably seen in the textbook. I mean, we still look at that as being like, look at this primitive art. And like, we appreciate it here now, millennia later. And I wonder if that was just like a doodle by the guy sure. in the cave, or he's like, "Yes, I want this to be remembered by Grok over there, sitting by the no, fire." I don't think so. Or if he was trying to impress a girl, or whatever it yeah, happens yeah, yeah. to be. That may be probably a mating thing. Uh, <laughs> I, why are we we even presume it's a male? I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe or she's kids. trying to impress a impress a guy. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. But we, but I look at that, and for me at least, that is a, a way of someone creating art with. I'm not getting monetary gain out of this. I just want to create it. I'm, I'm doing the act of creation just because. Right? The same thing when you have like those little Earth Mother statues or like Easter Island or whatever. It happens to be these great moments of, I don't know, output by humanity that had no secondary motivations for monetary gain. You know, I might ask you when you are down mixing a podcast, when you're editing video, when you're writing, uh, do you find yourself completely losing track of food, time, and and surroundings? Editing, yes. Editing is the one spot where I can really hone in and just forget that two hours have passed by um, until my back screams at me and says, like, you have to stand up for a bit. So... <laughs> Uh, I have my father's back, unfortunately. So that's why sometimes you'll walk in and I'm laying on the floor because I'm just trying to straighten it out. That's okay. Uh, But the other part is, yeah, I actually find writing, as much as I like writing, it is the hardest part because it's not me like a fountain and like something unspooling out of me. A lot of time it's like pulling things out. It's actually very intensive (laughs) when I do it. So I get tired actually quite a bit. Uh, one of I actually do a podcast about him, but one of my kind of big mentors and people I look up to, this composer named Stephen Sondheim in musical theater, I love what he says. It's like he likes to write lying down so that he can have a a nap when he wants to, but also that he he's he's better when he's when he's writing lying down. And I have the same type of <laughs> feeling where I just want to be thinking, thinking. Oh, okay, here we go, boom, 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 and then it's a lot of rewriting after that. It's really where the writing comes in. I. I think like listening to that, it's interesting as I meet different artists and, um, you know, I'll consider you an artist, Kyle. I think um, whenever you find whatever it is that you do that you get lost in, there's something important to that. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, yeah, zoning out or just because there are menial tasks that you can, you know, your brain can shut off and you can, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that everybody should be a riveter. 
Um, although some people, maybe that's what they're designed to do, you know, and we get into that spiritual, spiritual discussion of fate, God and the world, etc. But, um, you know, listening to you talk about writing, about down mixing and editing, about your love of YouTube and video uh, communications, and the fact that you came to me and approached me and uh, helped me build this podcast and the shows that we're about to kill they're going to be fucking awesome <laughs> it's fascinating there's something here you know that i want to petulantly refuse to allow to be a function of money mm-hmm. um and i don't know how we're going to do this kyle um but we're going to find a way to make the spirit of it sustainable now whether the name and the structure is media lab and perspective who the fuck knows probably not i mean maybe maybe you know there's those stories about Every entrepreneurship fails the first, you know, there's all these stats. Uh, so I remember I met somebody told me that, uh, he asked me about the magazine. I was like, yeah, personally, he's like, well, what other ones are you making? I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm just doing one at a time. <laughs> and he, and he gave me some advice, something like, you know, that I would need six before one would take, you know, one of those statistical things. So. Uh, instead of putting all the eggs in one basket, I think one, uh, I personally am enjoying our partnership, you know, being able to push that all onto you um, from a down mix. I mean, I have some experience with fiddling with computers, uh, using Audacity and before that, um, I can't remember what the audio software, when I used to pretend that I could make music, et cetera. Mm. Um, but the idea of yeah, understanding how mics work <laughs> conversationally, environmental sounds, directional yeah. shit. Fuck, I don't know. Uh, and, and not only that, I don't want to know. I uh, I think, um, you know, having somebody that uh, can build that is important. I want you to know that I appreciate that. Maybe speaking too to your uh, reflection of yourself in the 20s. Um, I don't think any of that's a waste of time. I don't think any of that uh, is something that you should look at, I think, in a regretful way. I think instead... We're here where we're meant to be, you know? And Yeah, and I, I keep having to tell me that, but I mean, going back to our, where we started our conversation a little bit, which is the musicians here in Calgary, like I look at them and like they're all in their early to mid-20s and I think they're so super talented. I'm like, man, you're so good. I was not anywhere close to that when I was, <laughs> was in my 20s. I'm constantly comparing myself to other people. That being said, I mean, putting in the time and learning a skill and becoming good at it does... It takes time. And sometimes it takes a decade to become an overnight success. Sure. And there's been countless examples of that throughout history. And that's kind of what keeps putting me along. Any of the stuff that I produce in an online context, whether it's YouTube or podcasts, I have to continue to do it because I like to do it. I always start a new project thinking, this may or may not ever make me money, but do I actually like the idea? Because if this does hit, if it does become something that people really, really like, is this something that I want to be doing on a weekly basis for the next however many years? And if the answer is yes, then I can jump in with both feet and I have no problem doing that, uh, which is probably why I overload my plate a lot of the times <laughs> doing like five different shows at one time. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm doing the same thing. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I've got new spaces, curatorial stuff. You know, I don't know. It's not about one thing. And it's not about, I, I think, I think so far, um, if we're looking at anything, Kyle, it's got to be about, um, yeah, is this something of interest to you? Then go and do it. And then if it happens to do something else in return, if you get money, if you get recognition, who gives a shit? All the all that surface stuff uh, that's been exacerbated by social media, but has existed throughout history. Uh, you know, this comparative thing, the differences, and trying to be something. Um, if I'm learning anything, it's that's there's a poison there too, and uh, we have to aspire to stuff. And, and there is a functional usefulness to social dynamics, of course, but at the same time. When we get into that negativity where it's like, well, look, uh, yeah, this kid's 25 years old and he's performing at the Palomino. It's like, well, you know, we're not them. We don't know what their day-to-day life is. Uh, we don't know anything about them truthfully. Uh, so instead, I I need to look for a way to appreciate it and then build with it. So what are we going to do? Okay, well, we can't be Connor. But what we can do is I can give them a venue to play. You can put them live online. And then all of a sudden we're collaborating uh, together. Um, I think that's more exciting, man. Mm -hmm. Because as much as I 
you know, used to love karaoke. Uh, I am not going to be front manning a band anytime soon. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let's, you know, let's look at it that way. I think, I don't know. Uh, I do a wicked material girl. If you ever want to see it, I think, no, I think now we have to, <laughs> yeah, I, I think <laughs> it's going to have to be on video too. Right, right. Full, uh, full Madonna. Uh, wait, material. Yeah. No, Madonna, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm losing my pop reference and everything as I get older. Oh shit. Okay. Um, I don't know. What else should we talk about? How are we doing? Yeah, we have like eight minutes left. Eight minutes. The long and winding road. <laughs> um, I don't know. What? Let's do an outro. I mean, what's uh, what's going on next for you? What's what's your big? Uh, Let me rattle off a bunch of things. I yeah. mean, medialabyyc.com is the website that you can go to if you want to see more about the studio, book time, or see when some of our upcoming classes and stuff are. My own personal social media profile is at the kyle marshall i'm that on every all the major ones so twitter instagram facebook except for youtube which really bugs me but that's another story for another day <laughs> but uh kyle marshall tries is the quick way to get to the the youtube stuff i'm actually changing my output on youtube here very quickly i want to start producing more for media lab as a separate topic but I had a conversation with this, we'll call him like a social media guru here the other day, but I thought he spoke a lot of sense. And something that I've been really struggling with is that I've gone to a point where I can produce videos fairly well. I can speak on camera really, really well, but getting an audience was not happening, at least not very, very steeply. I knew that it's because, or mostly because, I just do suit way too many different topics. I can be talking about like some book I read one week, and then like a philosophical problem I've been dealing with the next week, and then this story from my personal life the third week. And so it's a bit too all over the place, and not like a specific like this is our framework that we're working with. And because I get the most engagement when I talk about books and then the the movies that were based on them that is basically what i'm going to start to do that is what i'm really going to hone in on for the next few months to a year and just see how i can use that to generate an audience so if you're interested in learning about books and then how the movie adaptations either support that or go drastically different you can you can jump aboard there we're going to talk about the grinch next week so it's gonna be fun it's yeah i wonder in, like listening to that, I'm thinking like how much behind the scenes backroom uh, producer level intel are you going to be able to ferret out? Because uh, some of those decisions, uh, there's rumors of what, for example, studio might value. But I wonder what the true conversations might be in there. Yeah, yeah. What's your thoughts on that? How much information are you really going to know about the boardroom discussion? Right, I see. Uh, probably not much. I mean, I don't. I mean, other than what leaks out into the press and we can right. be conjecture and stuff, definitely other adaptations you can be a little bit more open about because either there's been books written about them or actually become more loose-lipped as they get past the, sure. the release date because they can be out because they're out of the contract at that point. That in itself doesn't actually interest me as much as how people interpret works of art. So the mm -hmm. biggest the biggest hit that I actually had on my YouTube channel in the last few years was when I compared the book version of Call Me By Your Name to the movie version Call Me By Your Name. I don't know. Which is this very, it was an independent, it was nominated for Best Picture. It has a really loyal, dedicated following online. And it's about this professor and his son who falls in love with his TA that comes to live with them uh, in um, Italy for the summer. So it's, it's, a, it's a gay love story, David. I really loved it. And then I read the book and I liked to compare them because... There's a lot of similarities and then drastically different ways that they handled the endings. Mm. And I just thought it was a fascinating conversation. Yeah. And so I just like to talk about that and then my own interpretations, how it spoke to me as a human, and then wrap it up. I, I continue to go back. One of my favorite reviewers, this is not like an out-there opinion, but was Roger Ebert. And I loved ro reading Roger Ebert when I was growing up because even if I disagreed with him on the review, at least I understood his uh interpretation of the work even if i totally disagreed with him but one of the biggest things i always took from him was that movies at their best are empathy machines and i 100 percent agree that the best of them are making me feel something about the characters in front of me even if i disagree with their motivations at least I'm like but they're people and i want to see how this resolves uh, and so those are the types of stories i am the most i guess engaged with i i, I spend some time uh loving movies and then they broke your heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think parenting is a big change because yeah. it shifts your 
your priorities to, um, you know. You've seen every episode of Paw Patrol, though. Yeah. Well, I know. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of TV yeah, through Netflix anyways. And then I think going through my midlife crisis through parenting uh, changed my priorities a lot. Uh, so um, the way that um, it's just like you're saying, you know, the way that I feel empathy and what I feel empathy for, how I identify with characters, whether I give a shit about a plot line or whether something speaks to me, uh, keeps evolving too. And I think that's natural. Mm -hmm. uh, what I'm particularly still good at is <laughs> just because I'm a crabby uh, guys you know i'll watch a movie and be like yeah that's written by a man <laughs> uh, that guy's bitter about a breakup this is written mm -hmm. by so and so in my favorites from the all-time classics uh yeah you know you know I, I was really amazed by it and uh you know i was a big blade runner fan mm -hmm. of course uh, all five iterations um, right i know uh but uh 2049 was great incredible. it was really good I, I told people though going into it it's like did you like the original blade runner because if you didn't you're not going to like this yeah, one either the it's mood. very similar yeah slow plotting beautiful but really beautiful and it Dark. gets to a really great point i think yeah. by the end of it grizzly you know moves like that were always fun for me because I always wanted to be a pseudo-intellectual and tell people what to think. <laughs> and now that uh, I'm where I'm at now, I'm, I'm taking a step back from that because, like you were talking about critics, I think we've talked about this off mic, but uh, yeah, man, like modern critics today and this male-dominated bitter mm -hmm. thing where they only like shitty, angry, depressing films about angry, shitty people yeah. doing angry, shitty things to each other. It's exhausting. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah. And dark and depressing is sometimes confused with like important, uh, important I yeah, think intellectual, nowadays. Yeah. Not that I don't go for a gritty thing every now and again, but yeah, if that's all you're watching, it's like, oh boy, like yeah, it just gets so, I don't know, def defeatist. Dreary. After Dreary yeah. after a while. I, I think going back to Roger Ewart again, what I always took off from him as well is again, love it, hate it or whatever, taking art at its value, face value, which is like, who is this being made for? Number one, am I of the audience? Maybe or maybe not. This is effectively accomplished what it's set up to do. And you can have things like, I really hated this movie, but the kids are going to love it, right? right? You, can, you can get into that like right. philosophy, and I have no problem with that. Just ripping something to shreds just for the fact of ripping it to shreds never really interests me. How you are, how cool you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but... Yeah, take it for what it's worth. I am not comparing this, I don't know, children's movie to Casablanca because right. there's just two different audiences for that sort of entertainment. Um, and then we have recognizing the stuff that you think just elevates the genre or is pushing the conversation forward. Yeah. Like the, and it's going to be different for every person. But Will Ferrell's big run, uh, all of yeah. those should be 100% Rotten Tomatoes movies because uh, they're incredible. They're dumb. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's the same way I feel about the first couple of Adam Sandler movies. Yeah, I love them. I, I really, really still That's love... generational, uh, though. I know, it is. It's so, so Do Over is good on Netflix. Apparently it is. Yeah, it's I've excellent. heard really good things about it. Yeah. But I just remember what, uh, uh, Pappy Gilmore, yep. Billy Madison. Billy, yep. Those two I, I still think are really funny. And this is like awful uh, stuff for a lot of years. Well, but. Daddy's Home. What was the one with the when he was a millionaire uh, with the dead toe? That's a pretty funny movie too. <laughs> I'm a, I was a big Adam Sandler fan growing up because yeah, it was the nineties and yeah. he, he's obnoxious, mm -hmm. but, uh, he's got, uh, and then he did the one drama. Uh, that's a good movie. Uh, yeah. What's that movie called? Uh, Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk. The Punch Drunk Love and uh, Funny People I thought he was good in as well. But. Funny People, he was good in it. I just thought it, the Judd Apatow just drags movies too long. So like, I agree with it that. has like a it's two and a half 20 hour. minutes long. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. So like all of the discoveries in that, like Audrey, Aubrey Plaza and all, like they were great. The stand-up was great. The idea of the movie's great. Um, that reflection of how it's not about money, fame or anything. Like people still kill themselves and stuff. But, but Jesus, that movie's long. It just drags and drags and drags. Uh, now I'm being a critic. So I, I Welcome to our movie review podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, click. We have a new intro music. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, thanks, Kyle, for this impromptu interview. Yeah. I hope you enjoy listening to your own voice in the down mixing. It's going to be rough, but I'll get through it. All right. Uh, it's like looking at yourself in the mirror. I, I have a similar experience with that in uh, in my recovery. Uh, that's a weird thing, man, being able to look at yourself in the mirror. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, thanks again for everything, and uh, we'll see what happens next. Sounds good. All right. Lay your